You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Charlotte City Council members are in Durham this week for their annual budget and planning retreat. That's right, folks. Retreat edition. Episode 5, the special retreat edition. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have three segments in this program. We are on a retreat. We're going to learn a little bit more with our special guest about what the retreat is. But we're going to have three segments where after each day of the three days of the retreat, we're going to give an update on that day. And uh, Larkin, what do we have in store for for segment one? Well, so for our first live remote episode, we're coming to you. Uh, well, I guess it's not a live remote. It's a recorded remote episode. On scene, outside of the offices. Yes. So we actually do have a little bit more spacious confines here. We are in Durham, North Carolina this week, having our strategy session and planning retreat. So we have invited up a very special guest. Very special guest. And that Can we is, call her a friend of the pod now? She is a friend of the pod. <laughs> yes. That's what we call our favorite people. Thank you. We have our wonderful Mayor Vi Lyles, who was a uh, four-year four county... Uh, four-year city council person and in her last two years served as mayor pro tem is now our newly elected mayor and charlotte's first african-american female mayor and so we're going to have her get us up to speed on her feelings about this retreat and about what we can be doing to better work as a team which was one of my big takeaways today so vi welcome to the show thank you very much i'm glad to be here so could you start a lot of our viewers or listeners um maybe don't don't know what uh, a retreat is what's the purpose of the retreat in general Charlotte has had retreats for the Charlotte City Council for as long as I can remember. And the entire intent is to have the council members have a deeper dive into the issues that are um, on the agenda for the next 12 months. Oftentimes, that's our financial positioning. It's about the issues that are most current. So this year's retreat has focused on the first day around environmental concerns and um, how do we work together as a team. The rest of the week is going to be all about our jobs, housing, and safe communities. Just as a follow-up to that, what, what, I know there's an element, because we've heard it from, from multiple staff members, from others, of this is not just an opportunity to get with a strategic lens on a lot of the big topics. It's also, especially for a lot of new members, a team building, getting to know each other, how to work together. How do you view that angle of this? It's absolutely essential. I've been mayor for nine weeks now, and I've traveled to meet every member of the congressional delegation, every member um, of our state legislative leadership, the governor's office, and we have to have relationships to be effective council members and leaders of our city. I have to be effective, and you do too, and you do that by first forming the um, relationship, meaning you have to know why people are doing what they're doing. It is not an easy thing to run for office. An election can be very, very hard. It's tough on you individually, especially your family. All of those things play into it. So here you are now elected, and you have to serve. And you have to think about, well, what am I going to do to build relationships so that I can work with 11 people that work just as hard to get here as I did today? Yeah, I think the relationship thing is really important. We actually, in a previous episode, had Senator Jeff Tart on, and that was something he harped on, was that we need to put in as much face time with people at all levels of elected office in all parts of our state and country to, to not only say that we care um, about our rural neighbors or our, our friends in Raleigh, but to show them we care about putting in that face time. So I was really glad uh, at our dinner tonight uh, we got a welcome from Durham's new mayor. So it was a great opportunity for us as a council to 
get a little bit of FaceTime in with him and, and for you and he to hopefully talk about how we can be partners of theirs and vice versa. Um, for, so you talked a little bit about what we covered in the first day, which was really talking about how we operate, how we govern, how we work as a team, and then also diving into some environmental issues. What would you say you think the most successful takeaway or the biggest takeaway from today is, and what are things that um, that you think maybe we, we will now want to dive in deeper to uh, as we go along? You know, we are very different. I've worked in this city for over 30 years. I've been on almost every community board that there is, and you guys are coming in new. And I think the biggest thing that we did today was to put up a board that you could ask any question that you chose so that you can get a sense of what we do. Actually, what are we supposed to deliver to the community? The other thing that I was really impressed with is the idea of creating an overarching vision for our city. We've been doing this work for a long time, including the community, but for the council members to weigh in from their perspectives was really important. And it's interesting that we had a conversation about Southern hospitality, New mm. South City, all of those little details matter. And just the conversation, having those discussions got got us all to a place that we know each other better. Yeah. I think that I think coming up with with cohesive branding for our city is critical. I mean it 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 seems kind of thin it just at, at looking at the surface, but you look at what Nashville's been able to do or what Austin's been able to do, cities that have have a personality and have a brand and are known across the country um, for for what they specialize in and what makes them unique. And I think Charlotte has a lot of things that make it unique. We just I think to your point we're we're finding a way to to put that into a con concise message that we can we can offer to people and, and tell them what's great about Charlotte. And I did actually enjoy the, um, and that's why I think it's so great that we have a d diverse council that we have because I kind of harped on the Southern hospitality. That's that's something that kind of makes us unique. People always say, well, people are so nice in Charlotte. Um, but then you and, and Braxton, I believe it was, brought bringing up, hey, well, that's that has some different connotations to it too. So I think the diversity that we have as a council that's why the diversity is so valuable in my eyes is that yeah. it gives you that, yes, I see what you're saying, but also there are these, there are these other connotations, or have you considered it this way? And, and vi uh, I guess I have a follow-up question to that one specifically because that's a really interesting point. I forgot about that. One of the things I've learned through working with Willie Ratchford on the Community Relations Committee through getting to know Braxton Larkin lately is, you know, these dialogues across what many call two cities here are very, very important, and just having them makes you more cognizant of different connotations. For example, you know, it, there are people who refer to what happened a September ago as the riots. And, and, and it's crystal clear that someone like Braxton bristles up when they hear that because it's the protests in his mind. When you think about that real discussion we had today about Southern hospitality and, and those elements, what are the, what are the, why is it important? And do you believe it's important to have the dialogue even if we don't frame everything right at first? And what is the productive outcome of that? I think the strength of any council, and our council especially, is that we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences. You know, there's a lot of conversation in this um, arena that divides us. You know, a lot of times people will say, well, you're privileged, and or you're, you know, you don't consider, you're racist, and those very harsh words. And until you actually sit with someone and you explain what those terms mean, it's not the words that matter, it's the experiences that you bring to the table. 
And for me to be able to say things like, my dad went to the war, but he couldn't participate in the GI Bill for an education or a house, that's a whole different story than saying, well, you know, the state or the federal government passed racist legislation. Some people could characterize it that way, but you have to have a connection. And if you don't connect with a story, with something that's really meaningful and it gets to both people's heads and hearts, then all you've done is divided us even further. So my goal always is to have that kind of difficult conversation in a way that actually explains our history because without knowing your history, you're going to repeat it. Do you feel an extra either responsibility or weight on your shoulders in that very realm um, being the first African-American female mayor? I don't feel the weight on my shoulders. I feel a responsibility. And it's not just a responsibility because I am a black woman. I'm really proud to be able to say to every black woman, thank you for how you've supported me. And to every young black girl to say, if I'm mayor, you can be governor or you can be president. But I want to be known as the mayor that brings Charlotte together around jobs and housing and great and safe neighborhoods, because that's the lasting legacy. One day, some generation will get it right. And I tell people all the time, I've got um, um, children of multiracial parents. And as I remember, I, I remember talking to a mother that way, and she was, her little girl was asked, well, what, what's your race? And she had no idea what to say. You know, if your mother's white and your father's black or vice versa, what is that child going to say? And so at some point, this will work its way out. But right now, we are at a place that we've got to focus on it and, and figure out how to deal with it in a way that's positive for our city. So uh, I, there was one final serious question. We don't usually stay this serious for this long, but uh, you know we we have you as the gravity guest. of our guest. The gravity today. of the guest is drawing us to more <laughs> is, serious. Is making us act like adults. We, we also strive to really ask tough questions, mm -hmm. and I, I'll frame this one in in an angle where you can take it which route you feel best. But there's been a lot made of um, the number of new councils and the eight, uh, council members this time new and the age of them. And we've heard multiple times, I think, that, you know, this isn't just, this isn't completely new, it's happened before. We've had this many new folks or this many young folks. I think there is a nuance that there's this many folks who are in this generation that are digital natives. And, and there are some differences there, but there are differences with everyone. I guess my question to you is, you've got two of the new council members right here in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any, what, what real feedback would you give us as you've been watching from your angle in all of this in how we can be more effective? This is the feedback that I really, someone gave this advice to me. Government is slow for a reason because it has to make everyone um, a part of the conversation and, and, and a part of the solutions that we have. And so by intentionality, when you look at the federal government, the state government, there are many layers of overlap that you think, well, why can't I just get something done? Well, it's because we're not really the leaders of community. The people in our neighborhoods, the businesses that operate in our city, the um, people that bring our children forward, those are the real leaders. What we're here to do is to enable them to have a place that they can live comfortably, safely, in a clean environment, and to support them. So what I would say, guys, is that you know, sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. And our job in government sometimes is not to take the lead, but to look to the partnerships 
of leaders in our community, the business community, our tradition in Charlotte, it didn't happen overnight. It was because we work cooperatively with people. Working cooperatively and in collaboration takes a lot more time. So what I would say is if you want to change government, you probably ought to run for president if you want to make it faster. All right, so I'm going to actually end with one more question because yeah, we, we have been serious for too long. Yeah. So the, the takeaway there is we as the, as the newly elected folks on council – be a little more patient with the process, and um, but to end on a high note, we'll drill into of, that more of, in segment two. Of all the great <laughs> things about this new class of council members, what's your favorite? Who or who? Or yeah, well, me. Uh, everyone is my favorite. You know, I I can't yeah, pick you know, a favorite child. I'm, I'm a mom. You don't pick a favorite child, so even though my daughter tells me that my son was adopted. <laughs> as and a I'm group, like, really? As a group, what, what characteristic do you think of all the great characteristics that we have? Yeah, I think you've got you new energy and new ideas, and that makes us all better. Like a podcast. Yeah, like a podcast. Well, thank well, you so well, much. Well, for well, well, on. Oh, one last thing. Got, he wants. He has to end. He always has to. No, no, you can end it. But one last thing. For you're a pretty legit painter. We found that out tonight. That's right. I like to do things I mean, like that. Did you see her? her we did some her team work? building. I can paint a mean light rail, but I'm still not very good at trees. It was over. It was. It, it, it took longer than it should have, and I think it was over budget. Your painting of the light rail. Well, that's that's a, tra- <laughs> that's a transportation joke or an attempt at one. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. We Thank hope you. that you will not be a stranger. You are now a friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. I'm in the bromance. I'm in the bromance. Oh, I'm all in. Bro- if you can't see it, my hands are like, shut, shut, shut. raising the roof. In the That's bromance. Right. Which, uh, which the new council members don't still do. Thank but. You. <laughs> That's because they don't know how to have real fun. I'm going to take them out to the club one night, and oh, we'll show them what snap. the deal is. We're, we're, these mics are still hot. Yeah, right? yeah. Hey, I, hey, you know, everybody has to have a life. And I can have a life as mayor, too. I I can appreciate that. All right, well, that was segment one. We will see you right after the break with segment two, which will be day two. So we'll be recording it tomorrow. See you then. Bye. Bye, everyone. The affordable housing crisis is one of the top issues facing the Charlotte area right now. City leaders are tackling the problem before more people cannot afford to live here. Reporter Jill Bruno traveled to Durham with the city's holding its annual retreat to find out what leaders are now proposing. All right, day two of R&D in the QC from Durham. We're here for the city council retreat. Uh, we had a wonderful guest last night in Mayor Vi Lyles after day one. It is now the end of day two. We actually have run up here between the end of our meeting and our dinner so you know we're going to keep this segment Are short. Are you exhausted? Because I've got to get—I I, got to be first in line at dinner. Yeah, you do. Uh, well, but yeah, you, today was our today was our marathon. It was uh, so we got here, started at lunch yesterday. We'll end early afternoon tomorrow. But today was the full day. So 8 a.m. to uh, we ran right to 5 p.m. So it was a, a full day. But we we got a lot of stuff in. We got a, had a lot of good guests. Um, and one of the things we we opened with this morning was kind of an economic outlook to to frame our discussion about neighborhoods and opportunity and housing and, and those issues in Charlotte, uh, someone from Wells Fargo came and gave us an economic outlook this Mark, morning. Mark Vittner, uh, the chief economist at uh, Wells Fargo, he was there. And, you know, we learned a couple. I, I learned a, a ton. I, I know we talked about it. So did you. Here's just a couple highlights. We went to a macro level first, and we talked about the economic outlook kind of as, as a country. And, you know, he, he showed us that, Growth it clearly accelerated in the second and third quarter in 2017, and there's expected to be carryover into 18, and even more broad coverage of that. We 
talked about monetary policy and then interest rates. They're going to rise, but still remain relatively low, three quarters to one percent. Um, and um, you know, on fiscal policy, he mentioned that you know the, the tax cuts are going to be more impactful than the consensus estimates. Um, and and we talked about other things, consumer spending. Then we dropped into Charlotte specifically, and and about the growth that we're seeing. Uh, we talked about Amazon a little bit from his perspective, which really aligned up with a lot of the things I've been saying, which made me, me feel good. Um, and then, you know, I think one of my, my biggest takeaway, and I'll be interested on yours from that segment, Larkin, um, is he started at the high level of the country and said, we're experiencing 37% of the country's growth coming from tech related jobs, the tech sector. And then he did a comparative analysis and showed us some of the cities that are above us in growth, GDP, other things of that nature. Um, they were primarily driven by the tech sector. And when you look at that, you know, we, we talk specifically about fintech today. And I was really pleased about that segment because um, all the council members maybe have been hearing fintech from me you know, and, and kind of, you know, but, but to hear it from a, not just another source, but a respected economist and how that's such a factor, you know, so, what, what's your takeaway? Well, he, uh, he used MetLife as an example. He said when MetLife relocated or not relocated, but added a, a, a bigger presence in North Carolina that they, partly by the way that we've branded ourselves or the way that we're perceived rightly or, or, or not, they put their tech jobs in the triangle and they put their, um, which jobs was it that they've got in Charlotte? More of the um, finance-related jobs. Yes. So I mean, they viewed us as, as okay. We got more banking-style jobs versus right, talent versus the tech jobs. So that was a loss for us because we weren't perceived as necessarily being the type of city um, to to host that stuff. One of the other things he talked about um, that's a little in the weeds for for folks that maybe don't follow municipal governments all that much, but I thought it was very interesting. Uh, our our colleague Julie Eiselt asked about the importance of maintaining our city's AAA bond rating that we currently have, and he said right. that hasn't been as important lately because of the interest rate being uh, basically zero, the difference in terms of the cost to us, when cost we, of issuance essentially, right, yeah. is is not much currently, but as these interest rate increases come through, it's going to widen. The it spread. will widen that yeah. spread. So, so the difference between us being AAA bond rated like we are. Or if we are not physically sound and we, we were to fall, which we're not anticipating, and we're certainly uh, going to do everything we can to make sure we always maintain that AAA bond rating, but that it would be a bigger detri detriment to us going forward than it would have been the last year or two. So yeah, The last piece on this, and tell me what your reaction to this was. When I asked my question about you know playing to our strengths in fintech, really focusing there maybe as part of our economic development strategy a little bit more, um, and what his thoughts were. He, he came back and said something of very specific nature, which was, I think we need to, if we focus on one thing as a top priority in this area, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's Technology. next level yeah. education. And yeah. it was taking UNCC's data science initiative and that program, and then finding a partner university to actually get them to come and relocate and partner here. And he mentioned Israel, Germany, or not relocate and maybe, India. but maybe create a create, second, yeah, create a, a second, second location a, a sorts. So that got me more excited than than anything else. I mean, the, the my big takeaways, and you're obviously far more versed in the economic and, and financial sector than I am. But, but for me, as more of a bit of a layman in those fields, my big takeaways were, to your point, he said, if 37 or so percent of job growth is in tech, he said, then Charlotte as a growing city should seek to have 
37% of its job growth be in tech, if not more, uh, or we're falling behind. And so that was one of the things that I think drove home a, a lot of the points you've made about tech. But then I got super excited when you started talking about um, looking for opportunities to bring a research institution to our yeah. to our community. And so uh, this might be a whole other episode for us to have, but I actually pulled city manager Marcus Jones aside immediately after that because I had to like tell someone how excited I was and all the ideas that were flowing through my head. Um, because I think Charlotte, to be um, to be a world-class city, we need to have a medical school. We need to have a research institution. We, at, at some point, need to revisit having a law school. Uh, I would argue a not-for-profit law school because um, I don't believe in for-profit institutions of education. <laughs> educational <laughs> educational well, institutions. We're going to finally get into okay. in debate. Educational I institutions, I will specify. Um and so, you know, there's a couple avenues to get to that. One of them is going to our amazing partner in UNC Charlotte and saying, hey, if these are the three things we feel like we need as a city, which one of these can you maybe add to your scope of, of offerings? And can we help you um, create these type of programs? And then to, to his point today, looking internationally to say, if there's a research institution in Germany that wants to have a North American presence, Let's go and let's actively recruit them and let's bring them to Charlotte as a satellite campus and, and have that research institution that you and I both think is, is kind of a piece of the puzzle that we were missing for Amazon and can lead to more tech jobs, more tech people moving here, uh, more investment in our community, and just raising the, the uh, education level of, of, and educational opportunities in our community. So I think that is, for me, one of the things that I really want to look more deeply into is how do we... How do we close those educational gaps that we might have secondary and, and beyond educational gaps that we might have in our city? Did your opposition of for-profit businesses evolve <laughs> uh, when you were campaigning with Bernie Sanders? No, well, I, 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 I was not a Bernie bro. Um, <laughs> much love to Bernie Sanders, but I, I was I was with the secretary. Anyway, two next topic, which was huge. But to reiterate, I'm okay with profit, just not in the educational sector. Let's drive that home. Okay. I understand. So back at, see, finally, we're getting into some controversy here. Well, we're going to eventually find a it's really just we're too tired. Of, it's just because we're too yeah, tired to choose yeah. our words well right now. Affordable housing. So, yeah, that was the bulk of today. Um, and, and I think rightfully so. We all, and, and, and you will point out that we, we approach this problem from different angles, but we all have, have very, very, been very upfront about the fact that affordable housing is, is mission number one uh, in this city. We know that it is the source of a lot of our problems, and we know that it can be the source of a lot of our of our opportunity and solutions. So we dug in deep from a lot of angles. Again, are kind of framed with where economists see um, our city going and the country going. I do think it's worth noting the city has hired its first economist. Yes, uh, that was a, a kind of a cool aside. But um, and so we talked about and talked with a lot of our community partners. We have a lot of of, of friends and partners that have come to Durham to be with us and to, to be kind of subject matter experts for us as we have these discussions and, and brainstorm these ideas. Um, but we spent probably six hours today talking about affordable housing. And so, uh, you know, I'll frame to you the question I, I kind of raised in the room, and, and maybe we could just debate this for a second, which is a lot of people were either kind of talking about the need for the number of units versus a lot of other people were talking about the locational elements of our locational policy and that they're dispersed, not all around themselves in one area and also not uh, also in some of the more affluent areas of the city. And the question I pose there and I'll pose again is, you know, obviously we want to get both of those as right as we can. But, you know, in a, in a finite world that we exist in, 
If one of those has to be your main objective, either more numbers of units or maybe a smaller number, but get the locational piece right, um, what is our consensus of how we're all going to attack this in the next year? So uh, what's your approach? I don't think we have a consensus, and I don't honestly think we'll get to a consensus on which one of those things is more important. I think we need to have, uh, and we don't yet, but but I think staff can can put this together for us. We need to have some, some theoretical um, uh, case studies or, or potential um, case studies of this is the percentage of units you lose by getting the location policy right. Because I think for, if we've got a, a gap of 34,000 affordable units in our city, like, like we do, then you'd say, well, it's going to take a lot to get to that quantity, um, uh, add that quantity or preserve that quantity of affordable units. We don't want to lose out on too much of that quantity just to get the, the location policy right. But at the same time, if we, if we, put units just wherever we can most easily get in the path of least resistance, it, we don't create a sustainable, a long-term future uh, for those neighborhoods and for those communities. We talked a lot about neighborhood today. So I, I think it's a balance. And if, if it's a, a sacrifice of a small amount of quantity to get the location policy right, I, I think that works. If it's a huge gap in terms of the amount of quantity you lose by getting the locational policy right, I think that's going to give people more heartburn. I, I, my gut hunch here is that it will be a, a material number. I difference. think I think it probably will too. And, and in that case, I mean, me personally, I'm again, the data will help us come to this conclusion. I'm going to balance more towards the number. And let because at the end of the day, you can't make property values uh, and and what the land cost artificially cheaper in South Park or Ballantyne. You just can't do it. And I believe that is going to be a material impact to the number of the, the amount of dollars thrown at this and the ultimate number of units. So some people are going to have to have some tough conversations. Yeah, I think too. Uh, and again, there's there's a lot of ways to approach this, as you, as you point out. One of our speakers today had been intimately involved in a project in Atlanta where they had gone into a neighborhood um, that was arguably the, the most distressed neighborhood in the Atlanta area and had brought it up to where the this last year was the children that were born at the beginning of this program just graduated high school. They had 100% graduation rate, 100% college acceptance yep. rate, no teenage pregnancies. I mean, all these outcomes that were just mind-blowing um, in, in one example, but we can go into some of these neighborhoods that aren't currently um, maybe viewed as, as the, the best school districts or the, the best places to live in town um, or economically distressed currently. And we can also invest in them and create programs in them so that, yes, it's easier to build affordable and workforce housing there because the land values are not currently um, particularly high, but we can also make those desirable communities to live in. So, um, again, you know, I, I always go back to this is a multifaceted problem. It's going to require a multifaceted solution. We but. agree far too much sometimes, man. It scares me a little bit. The, the other thing is this. I've in you and I've talked about this ad nauseum for months now, but I'm really trying to apply conservative principles towards things that that that, you know, a lot of people in top 20 cities care about. Affordable housing has been clear that people care about it. But I, maybe we're maybe we're on opposite sides of this one here as to how we get there. And I, I'm just I'm I'm waiting for the data, but I feel naturally opposed when I hear these big numbers of bond for fifty million dollars to put in the housing trust for affordable housing, and that's it. To me, it feels like a single a single tool that's really taking all of our focus to to throw money at the problem, which is a real problem, and it's artificially solving only a portion of it. And I, that's where I get to this this supply demand side. That's supply side. 
and it's real estate and developers and the cost of the land, I think if the end goal here is to make a meaningful impact on the affordability of housing, I think we need to really explore more of the demand side of the equation. I think the deficit of affordable housing in Charlotte today is so great that it's it's not, and I know you're not saying it's either or, but it, it is absolutely and in my opinion. I think it, you know, $50 million housing bond or, or somewhere thereabouts. And again, the things we need to know are what can we put forward that we A, think will pass, B, doesn't jeopardize our bond rating, and C, uh, we need to know at what point we would trigger a tax increase because obviously the public's going to have less of a appetite for that. Um, but I think $50 million is, is probably where we're going to land. But I think it's that and the demand side and investing in neighborhoods um, so that they are more desirable places to live where people have real opportunities. So, I mean, to me, to tackle a 34,000 unit gap, you've got to attack it from a hundred different directions. And I think the demand side is absolutely one of them. But at the end of the day, I already know, I can see, and maybe I'll evolve, right? But uh, my thinking about I am not going to win that, that, that argument, debate, or ultimate vote Unless I unless I make a case that people are like that's I mean literally it's probably going to happen and I don't I, I just at this point I feel a little nervous that that's not the right approach and it's a huge chunk of money that's not going to ultimately make the biggest outcome that's there so I think this is going to be one of those cases for our listeners to kind of track as we figure out and ultimately at some point in time a decision will be made of an amount of money to fund it and what odds do you give it at being over fifty million or at the fifty million dollar level. If I was if I was a betting man, I'd say that that's where it will end up is probably at fifty million. But uh, again, there's we still a lot of data that we're waiting to to be given to be able to make that decision. But I, I that's what I'd put at the. At, Do I the have any under. odds of 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 if I did everything perfectly in this debate and 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 backed it up with data of bringing that down, but also then impacting it from other demand side equations. If if fifty million dollars, if if we are told that fifty million dollars as a bond is not going to trigger a tax increase, is not going to put our AAA bond rating at risk, um, and is likely to pass. If all of those things are true, I would be flabbergasted if we didn't pass it. Flabbergasted. Yeah, that's this a new word. This one is hot now amongst millennials. Yeah. Is it? I'm not, no. no, it's not. Anyway, um, I, I would be blown away if it if that is not what we put forward. But, you know, and I, I think your solution is more of a long-term solution. We talked a lot today about short, medium, and long-term solutions. I think the demand side is a longer term solution. We have people in crisis in our city right now that need affordable housing and we need short term solutions to try to deal with that crisis situation so, that okay. these people are in. All and right. the money, has, some of those short term solutions just are going to cost so us the, money. So is is, if it's crisis today and they need it now, and I'm not saying they don't, bring us back to where we were a minute ago. Is it not more about the number of units so they have a place to rest their head they can afford? Versus sacrificing, I mean, that's the for, for for the locational elements. That's the argument that that has to be had there. Yeah, and there again, that's why I think there's going to be a, a very small tolerance for a, a, a high percentage loss of units just to get the the locational policy right. I think if that if that gap is much, and I think that it might end up being, I think we've got to prioritize the quantity over the location if we're forced to make that choice because we do have a lot of people in our community in crisis and we need to deal with it as as quickly as we can but also 
to your point, lay the groundwork for some more long-term sustainable solutions. How uh, Anything funny that, that you'd like to draw reference to over the last uh, two days thus far? I, I know I'm putting you on the spot. There was a lot of funny stuff. One, we got Maddie Newt's a new nickname. Yeah, so Matt, we haven't seen we haven't seen Matt Newton uh, in anything but a suit since he got back from his honeymoon, but he's been pumping iron. Dude is jacked. So uh, yeah, so I think we're not, he did push-ups before he walked in. We're so gonna we, we're gonna be careful uh, making any jokes about Matty Newts because yeah, uh, put you in the sleep. Yeah, I think he could take. Who us. else? Anything else that was funny? I mean, there's a lot. We've, nah, been, we've we, had a couple laughs. We've there's a, a lot of serious. There's a good a good crew in the room though. We do have some friends of the podcast. Joe Bruno, Kirsten Garris, David Borax are all here covering it. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 fun to have some some of the Charlotte crew up here. Uh, of course, Joe's getting all worked up trying to make it a, a big exciting story. It's boondoggle in <laughs> Durham. We love you, Joe. I, I you know I, listen. I I have problems with that. You know I do. But I, we'll see what we accomplish and if it was worth the, the the return. I will say so far day two. We got one more day tomorrow, um, and we're going to record a segment tomorrow before we head back to Charlotte. Uh, to kind of put uh, a bow on all this. But I do think even just in the 36-ish hours that we've been here, I think we've had the opportunity to spend time with each other, have discussions with each other that we wouldn't have had if we were in Charlotte right now. More more bromances and the opposite of romances forming? <laughs> I don't know. Vi last night said she was part of our bromance, and I don't think she knew what bromance yeah, meant. Yeah, I know. But, yeah. Uh, it's all right. Well, we good. Like- I agree. I agree. Well, look, man. Let's uh, let's see how much energy we have tomorrow for tomorrow's uh, podcast. Yeah, we're we're certainly giving it everything we three. have, man. All right, so after the break, you get to hear us after three straight days of meetings. We might sound exhausted, but we'll we look forward to being with you then. All right. Back to the third and final segment of R&D and the QC's first remote episode, special edition, retreat edition. It's 2.30 on, it is Friday, right? Yes, it is Friday. 2.30 Friday, and this is going to be the shortest segment because we're ready to get on the road and beat Charlotte rush hour traffic if possible. But we covered a couple of things today. Um, Overall, I think the retreat went well. Today, a couple of things we talked about. We dug in again as as I think is going to be a recurring theme to social media policy. I do actually think we made a little progress on that. Um, we, we talked about something. It was a little painful. But yeah, it's I always think a little painful. End, we got, it, it, at the end of the day, I think if I recapped it, because people followed us last week, uh, last episode, we had Braxton on and we discussed the frustration we felt and what happened. We've been talking all offline about it. And then this week, we finally come back together. Still mass confusion. But I think at the end of the day, we came together of, we've already decided what we're going to do. Well, now we're yeah. trying to respect each other and basically have a conversation before we go and interact. For those of us who have reasons or ways that we, we anticipate interacting, interacting, and for those who, who don't, have, they have a chance to talk about it at least. So, yeah, I think the one consensus we came to as a complete group was that there's not really you, – you can't put a rule in place that would in it have any teeth in terms of policing what an individual council member is going to do with their social media. So I think the only thing kind of left to put a, a bow on in that discussion is – um, how the dialogue and how the interaction is done on the city's feed because yeah. you could put forward a, a, a thing saying we prefer that council members do or don't do X, Y, and Z, but no one there's can no tell teeth, us individually so what, what, what to a, do. So it's just point. about mutual respect. Um, one of the things you'd mentioned to me that that uh, I know was important to you and it, everybody seemed to be on board with with doing it was we talked about doing this tabletop oh, yeah. kind of crisis management exercise. We 
we all got a sense of what that will look like to a degree, uh, what kind of case studies we might use to go into that. But uh, that's something we're going to do hopefully sooner than later, but in, at a future date where we would analyze how we would react to something like a Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting, like a Las Vegas um, mass shooting. Like a Keith Lamont Scott protest. But I think the point you and a couple others raised it, which I thought was excellent, is which is we're not here to relive the past events and we're not here to try to to try to come to a conclusion on what side is right or wrong. It's about right. process. Which is why it might be helpful to do something that happened in another city. Boston Marathon yeah. bombing was the other example. Uh, so we don't get distracted by emotions that we all have about something that happened in our city um, and right. trying to rehash exactly. and, and relitigate what people, some of whom are still on council, did, didn't do, wish they'd have done differently. So, um, But it, it, it's to be prepared because as um, as our mayor, Vi Lyles, told us, she was told from the Las Vegas mayor in the wake of this of their shooting was uh, it's at this point in our world it's not a matter of if there will be a crisis but it's a matter of when there will be a crisis and and to what magnitude that crisis will be so we need to have kind of worked as a team and practice as a team how we will operate within whatever set of circumstances arises at some point and, and just just one final point on this one um, you know I I was very pleased that everyone for the most part was was completely almost unanimous in in the thinking of this was a good idea. I thought staff did a really good job. And also um, the fact that we're going to do this public facing and ask the media to even participate in some way since they do indeed have a role. Again, we can't control the media or say, here's your part of the process, but they are. And and I think that that is real in saying, come on in and let's practice with what we're doing here and how you would get information. It also sets a framework, I think, that the media knows what our protocol is going to be and that we've all committed to following it. And then they know where their best channels are to access the information they're looking for in the wake of some sort of event like that. So um, the last thing we talked about, I think we will, um, we'll circle back around to in later episodes, because I think this could be some special guests we could bring on. We talked about how education intersects with job opportunities in our city. Um, One of my upshots from it was there maybe needs to be a way, a metric by which we measure our schools based on how they prepare our our young people for successful jobs and careers and and, and opportunities for their future, maybe less on how they perform on any individualized, standardized, individual standardized tests. Dude, we had had Clayton Wilcox, CMS. Candy Dietermeyer and... um, Chris Jackson, yes, from Goodwill. Well said. <laughs> that. That was nice Teamwork makes the dream there. work. But um, they, I mean, I forgot. Literally, this day was so action packed. I forgot that was a whole segment. I agree. Let's do a later segment on this because I want to bring up the core score idea. It was a, it's an yeah. app and a technology idea that I was able to pitch to the council members. All right, so we're closing. Wait, it out. no, no, wait. No, I got I got one thing. Water. We didn't even. Uh, we had Angela, shout out to Angela Lee. Stormwater again. Let's have a whole another session on that because there's this huge backlog, massive challenge yeah. facing us. You don't know exciting until you've talked stormwater. That's right. Um, all right. So one final question for you before we close it out. Pack our things up and get on the road. Yeah. Uh, I saw on the way here the value in leaving Charlotte so that we could better bond as a team, <sighs> that we could um, we could work on some of these things without the distractions of, of being at home and. And and I still, as we leave here, I think that value is real. Uh, I understand people's qualms with spending taxpayer dollars for us to leave town and, and stay in what is admittedly a nice hotel. It's not anything over the top. We had every one of our meals here. It was all banquet food. Uh, we weren't out, you know, dining at, at fine dining restaurants or they, they weren't paying for alcohol, any of that. So what do you, as the more fiscally conservative 
person on the show, what do you see? Do you? I think you do see some value, but do you think it's it's worthwhile? Well, I, I think we have to see the data, like we say with literally every topic. Because, I mean, if it comes back and this is like $40,000, then I'm going to say, holy, that, that's a lot. But, you know, let's say it's something reasonable and less than what was spent last year where there was some noise around. Uh, you know, I, I still think, man, look, $30,000, $20,000, a lot can be done with it. But if I as I look back on this three-day period, we covered a lot of ground. And I personally wouldn't have been as tuned in with some of the polls I have when I'm in Charlotte, as well as um, some of the bonding and actual kind of tough conversations we had in the evenings. I wouldn't, I would have been at events that I had to miss in Charlotte. So, you know. So, yeah, I think, I think we, we are a a better team and a better council coming back to Charlotte today on Friday than we were coming here on Wednesday. Would you agree with that? I I agree with that. And, and, And that's why we have these retreats. So you, you know, I have no qualms with people nitpicking um, the the expenses, and certainly the media will do that. Uh, I feel like as these things go, we were pretty fiscally responsible in this one. Again, to my point about the food, and we, we never left the property. Um, Last point by me on this to, to, to ends that question, which is here was my idea. We all did this crazy painting exercise that they unveiled <laughs> to us today. Forgot about that too, didn't you? And my idea was this thing is actually pretty awesome and beautiful. We all create it's huge. Which is quite surprising. Let why don't we consider auctioning this thing off in Charlotte and somebody, you know, I think someone could pay like fifty, hundred thousand dollars not because it's like the Well, you know, I mean Braxton, Braxton and Vive's signatures alone are We worth, all signed yeah. it. Exactly. Well, right, you yeah. and I don't yeah. add, but so much value. We actually maybe reduced the value a little bit, but Braxton's is on there. And right? Vi. Vi. So so if we did that, and what if we took if it, let's say someone was out there, the big deep pockets folks paid a hundred grand for it. If we took twenty grand of that and paid the taxpayers back for being here and accomplishing all this, and eighty grand we handed off to some of those groups who are trying to battle the challenges of gangs and affordable housing and crime. Uh, right caveat: now. I'm putting a deed restriction on it. It has to be displayed publicly because we turn and, they, and they, they give us the rights back. And this we'll we are very talented artists owned by. Who's the name? That's it. That's all we got to right. figure out. There we go. All right. So it turns out we're great artists. I'll post a picture of that <laughs> on R&D and the QC's Facebook page. Yes. So if you haven't liked the Facebook page, go on and like that. I'll post a picture of this art project we did, and it is genuinely really good. Um, for it those has subscribing, some help of a professional artist. For those subscribing and listening to us on iTunes, if you have not rated our show, we've never asked you to do this. And we're already on what? Episode 5? The first, do us first a favor. time. Do us a favor. Like sh- on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes or whatever format and, and, and rate our show. Send it to your friends. We want to keep spreading the message and spreading the audience. We, we love you guys. You're all friends of the pod. Thank you for joining us on the Retreat Edition, and we will be back Monday night after our strategy session meeting. Later. You're listening to R&D and the QC with Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. <laughs>